because I think normally he has his timepiece on here telling us how long he goes, but there's nothing there today, so. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. You're very kind. Um, Andrew Lamb, for a few that don't know me, I'm glad to be here. Um, it is exciting always to be involved in the church plant. I won't be here next week because I have a chance to go down to Lakeland. There's a new cha- church plant that's having their very first worship service on the 3rd, so we're, Ann and I are going to be there for that. So you can pray for them. That's exciting. You got, some of you remember that here at Vintage Grace, our very first worship service, and all the getting ready for it that we did. But um, This is an interesting time of year. This is a time of year where we... Um, begin to think about all the gifts that we're going to give at Christmas. And it hit me this week because I was talking with a family about what they were doing, and they, they were really struggling with how to explain gift-giving to their children. And if you're a parent, or if you can remember back to your parent, there was always you know, these issues that you were thinking through at Christmas time of why we give uh, gifts to other people, uh, our attitudes that we should have about gift giving. Uh, my boys have an aunt that's very generous to them, and sometimes it's like you know you need to really make sure you think about her gift because they want to make sure she gives them a good. You know, there's some of that that you kind of have to work against and say no, that's not why we give gifts because the other person's going to give us something back. Um, we we deal with our kids on attitudes towards giving. You know, whether they didn't give me as nice a gift as I give them or I don't want to give to the, you know, whatever. We have to deal with all of that as part of this season. And today we're going to be talking about giving back to God. And I want us to take some of that mentality of what we normally might have to say to our kids or what our parents might have said to us and to begin to think through what are our attitudes as we give back to God. Um, are we seeking to buy his favor? Um, Job 41 verse 11 says, God's a debtor to no one. We don't buy, our, we don't buy his favor by giving back to him. Um, we heard last week some about our giving and an attitude of excitement about giving and that God would bless us, not in a, in a health, wealth, you know, if I give to God, he's going to give me a yacht type mentality, but in a joyfulness of saying, I want to give to God because we're so thankful for what he has done for us. And we're going to be looking at a little bit of that today as we consider this passage. Um, we, we do have um, in the church opportunities to give, and one of them, of course, is giving of our tithes and offerings. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, but there are lots of other opportunities to give. We just saw Duckett share his gifts with us. He gave to us in worship leading us. There are people that come every week and set up all these chairs and get worship ready for the rest of us. That's a gift of service and time. Um, There are people serving right now with our kids. That's part of giving of yourself. Uh, In the church, we talk about our time, our talents, what we're able to do, and our treasure. And so today, as we look at this passage in Romans, we're going to be thinking about those things and saying, what would God have for us to do? So, let's turn to our passage. I don't know whether we got it up on the um, screen or not, did we? Oh, Russell, you're so good. Russell came in last night, and I, I had forgotten to text him even the passage, and I texted him, and he was like, got it. So, thank you, Russell, for getting all that. We are in Romans chapter 11 through verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. Um, in 
many of the places I've been, they stand for the reading of God's Word out of honoring his God, God's Word. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, stand this morning for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, the individual members one of an, and individual members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if surface, service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, and as we stand in your presence and honor you, we are thrilled to come and look at your word. Father, may we see Jesus today. May we know your gospel better. May we um, take joy in what you have called us to, not for our glory, but for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name we, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but this year is a very special year. This is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And, and all over the world, starting in October and continuing through this, this past October and continuing through the next year, there are celebrations around the world um, for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And the Reformation was where there was the, the Catholic Church over all the world, and some people came and said, we need to change the church back to what the Bible says. And they were trying to reform the church, and they made, they nailed ideas onto doors of churches to discuss them, and they wrote books, and they did all sorts of things to say, we need to come back to the Bible. Um, some of the church said no to that, and some of the church said, oh, that makes sense, and that's in the Bible, and we ought to do that. So there was this thing called the Reformation. So 500 years later, I was at this past week in Argentina a meeting of the Bible Society of Argentina, and there's about two and a half thousand people there, and we did some seminars about the Reformation and other things, um, and that was a lot of fun to do, but it was interesting to me that of the different groups, and the Bible Society has connections with lots of different groups because their goal in Argentina is to produce the Bible. And I work for a group called Third Mill, and we are very connected to different groups, not just Presbyterians like we are. There are other people involved. But it hit me that the different groups talked about 
the Reformation from different perspectives. My Lutheran friends tended to talk about it in light of the cross, and there was a lot of looking to justification and, and the cross. Uh, others, uh, Episcopalians, I think I saw a fair amount of looking at the Reformation in light of how it changed worship. And we would look at things and say it's very important to look at it in light of the glory of God. And um, not that any of those others are wrong, but it just really struck me those differences in how people approached um, even looking at something like the Reformation. In this passage that we're looking at today in chapter 11, those last few verses are about the glory of God. If you look real quick at chapter 11, verse 33, let me turn my page. Oh, the depth of the, wis- of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? When you look at that and you're thinking, okay, this is talking about the glory of God, it's going, how do we even understand it? How do we grasp what God has done? And the question should be in your mind, what, what's he talking about? Well, Paul in all the first 11 chapters of Romans has been making an argument that man is sinful and that man is divided, Jews and Greeks, and, and, and we don't see a whole lot of that today, but that was a big deal in their day and age of divisions amongst people according to Jews and Greeks. We see divisions other ways. But he's coming to it and saying, God has done something phenomenal. So as I thought about that, I wanted to make sure we understood what that was. Um, part of that phenomenal thing that God has done is that he has shown us the gospel. And the question is, what is the gospel? Well, we start off with grace. Grace is a free gift of God. It's not something we've earned, right? We've heard this. This is something that some of you might have memorized in a thing called evangelism explosion. But then there's man. Man is a sinner. He's fallen. There's nothing he can do in and of himself to rebuild that relationship with God. And then we we come to God is both just and holy, but gracious and merciful. And that's this amazing thing of saying, wait a minute, God is perfectly holy. How can we as sinners have anything to do with him? But then he wants to show us mercy. And on top of that, of course, comes Christ as the Son of God, fully God, fully man. And then coming out of that, that through faith alone, we can have faith in Christ and what he's done for us, and then we can be restored to relationship with God. But it's not just restored to relationship with God as his creators, but Scripture teaches us that we are made sons and daughters of the Most High. So we go from being the creation of God that fell and is in terrible situation, cannot redeem ourselves. Because of what Christ has done, we're restored beyond what we were into a position of being the kings and queens, children of God, the rulers of the world to come. And that's just a phenomenal thing, especially when you consider how holy and just God is and how sin is so offensive to him that we can even come into his presence, that we can do anything with him, it is just amazing. And so when we read that in chapter 11 about consider the depth and the wisdom and what all God has done, and we're moving in that direction of saying God has done something phenomenal for us. Um, We talk about 
the glory of God in a number of places as Presbyterians. One of ours, of course, is the, the confession, and many of you know this. What is the chief end of man? Thank you, Duckett, has been to school, glorify God, and enjoy him forever. Um, Jonathan Edwards put it this way, the end of all of God's works is the glory of God. What we're talking about here is that all of creation, all of God's works, all that God has made, all that Christ has done, all is for God's glory. So I want us to start with that. Because as we go on and look at the rest at chapter 12, it's based on this, the concept of that we live for God's glory. Everything is to bring him glory. And so then we come to it and we say, who can even understand the Lord? How can we, who has ever been his counselor? Who can give gifts to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, that's the basis, and we heard that even in one of our songs that Duckett was leading us in today, that what God has done for us, his glory is the basis for what we are about to talk about. But then there's this, what, and I've talked about hermeneutics with you guys before. Hermeneutics is the study of how we study the Bible, and there's a rule in hermeneutics. When there is a therefore, as you see in the beginning of chapter 12, you need to ask, why? Is there a therefore, or the cute way of saying it is therefore why, there, there is a therefore, why is there a therefore? And the, the, the point being that when scripture says therefore, what it's talking about is looking back at what was before it and saying because of what we just talked about, Paul is saying in chapter 12, because of what we just said in chapter 11, we need to think about what he's about to say in chapter 12. And so chapter 12 starts with this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves, your bodies, as living sacrifices. This is core to what I want to come to you today. And in preaching, we try, Russell does a good job, we try to look at God's word and deal with what the passage is saying. It's called exegetical preaching. We don't just come and say whatever we want to say. We come to the passage and say, what does it say? Now, today, there's a lot of things in chapter 11.33 through 12.13. But what I'm bringing out of that is one major thing today, and that is this, that because of what we just talked about in chapter 11, the glory of God and everything God has done for us and how he saved us and redeemed us from our sins and made us sons and daughters of God himself, therefore, Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, the question for us is, what does that mean? How do we present our bodies as living sacrifices? Well, we've already mentioned some of those today, and Paul goes on and mentions a number of things here. He says, if you're a prophet or a preacher, do that. If you're a leader, lead well. If you're a, you know, and he goes through, if you serve, serve well. We have people here that have the gift of serving, and they care for um, we even have a group that has done a lot in, um, recently in our, all the storms where they went out and cut down trees and cared for people and cleaned out houses and did all that stuff. That is part of what this is talking about. So whether you're up front leading like Duckett's been, whether you're a preacher like Russell, whether you're serving the nursery, whatever it is, Paul is coming and saying, present your bodies 
as living sacrifice. And so I want you to consider what chapter 11 said and to think this week, how am I presenting my body as a living sacrifice? Now, in Christian circles, we talk about the whole concept of saying uh, we want to give a tithe when we give offerings. In this passage, there are two, two times where it mentions generosity or giving. And so that's kind of where we're focusing in the last week and this week on the, the generosity of giving and the, and the ability to give to God's kingdom. Well, when it talks about that, we have historically talked about the tithe. Well, I went back and looked, did some research on the tithe in the Old Testament just to kind of get my mind around what it was saying. And I added up it in the Old Testament when it talked about giving your offerings, it really ended up being about 47% of what people normally got. In the New Testament, it changes it, and it talks about this concept of giving yourselves as a living sacrifice. And what I want to say to you is, yes, you can focus on something like the 10%. Is God enabling you to do that? Um, but I also want you to think about the concept of saying, am I giving my life? Am I giving everything? God has done the gospel for us. God has given his only son. God has redeemed us from being sinners and made us children of the Most High. And so we need to come to that according to this and say, what is our role and what do we do? Now, as we think about that, I want us to keep that whole concept in mind of for the glory of God. One of the things I read about was um, Bach. I don't know if you have ever looked at any of his stuff, but Bach that wrote all that phenomenal music he signed everything uh, S-D-G. And for a long time, people weren't quite sure what that meant because it was on religious things, and it made sense on religious things, but it was also on secular things. Um, and S-D-G is sola deo gloria, which is the Latin for to God's glory, only for God's glory. And it was interesting, one of the ones that I read about that had that on it was his cantata, coffee cantata. I mean, you can't get any more secular than just your coffee. Uh, that's just, you know, he liked coffee, and so he had a cantata about it. I've, I've never heard of the coffee cantata, but I did read that he put that SDG at the end. And basically what he was saying was, everything is only for God's glory. So as we come to this, Paul has said, here's how glorious God is. No one can really understand him completely. No one was his counselor. He did something phenomenal beyond what we would have thought of in redeeming us to himself. Therefore, give your bodies, give your lives, give yourself, give everything you have as a living sacrifice. Um, he goes on and says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual service or worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds testing that you may discern what is the will of God, good and acceptable and perfect. So for us, part of our thought process is to say, what is good and acceptable and the right kind of giving ourselves as a living sacrifice? I could come to you this morning and say part of that is how much time you give. Do you give five hours a week? Do you give ten hours a week? I want to come back and say, no, it's not a 
number that you put on it, but it's like Bach was saying, everything is for the glory of God. To go out and golf later on this afternoon, are you doing it for the glory of God? If you have a job and you make money, are you doing it for the glory of God? You have talents in your life and abilities that you have. Um, I tell my sons this. Give your life, do something with your life for the glory of God. Um, it might be like me and going to missions, but that's not what everybody's calling, God's calling everybody to do. It might be like Duckett and being going into ministry, but that's not what God's calling everyone to do. Some of you have just a job that you get up every day and go do. But my question is, are you doing that for the glory of God? Because... Therefore, Paul says, from what God has done, are you living that life of sacrifice? There was a lady that a pastor was telling me about um, that came to a church, and she was, had lived a bad life, and she had children without uh, being married, and it was tough, and she became a Christian. And the church was reaching out to her. And part of reaching out to her was to realize she needed help raising those children. And so um, another lady in the church came to the pastor and said, what can we do? And the pastor said, well, I think these two young girls of this lady need to go to a Christian school. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever sent your kids to a Christian school. I, we did a little bit, but it was expensive, and it was hard to do. But this lady in the church took that on, and she said, I really want these girls to go to a Christian school. And so she um, paid their way to go. Now, the lady who was paying the way, she was also a school teacher at the Christian school, which any of you that are school teachers, or if you know school teachers, they don't make a lot of money. And so she really sacrificed for these two girls. The amazing part of the story was the pastor got to come back later on when those two girls were grown, and at some point he decided to, he asked the lady's permission, but he decided to tell them, this lady over here is the one who did this for you all those years of sending you to a Christian school. And they asked her why. And she said, God has done so much for me. I just wanted to give back. I wanted to do for others. And so when the church said, will you help these two girls, she sacrificed. And I think that meant real sacrifice. That meant not going out to eat as much. That meant, you know, whatever it was, there were sacrifices that she made because of that. So Paul is saying here in the first part of chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world. Now, this is where that story about the lady comes in. Whatever she sacrificed for those two girls to go to a Christian school, I can tell you the rest of the world did not understand that. They look at it and go, here's the lifestyle that you should have. Here are the things you should buy. Here are the things you should do for yourself. Here's the, you know, where you should be able to go out to eat or how often or whatever. Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this world. Now, I'm not going to come to tell you this morning, here's what you ought to do. You know, you shouldn't have those clothes, or you shouldn't have that thing for yourself, or you shouldn't drive that car. That's not the point. The point is that you have to look at what God's done for you. All the marvelous glory of God giving his son to redeem us as Christians. And even if you're here this morning, there might be someone here this morning that's not a Christian, okay? I want you to think about this, too, because God has also given what we call common grace. Common grace is the rain falls on everyone. The plants grow, the sun shines, um, even inventions that people can make. If you've got the newest phone, you go, wow, God's been good to me. God has allowed mankind to develop that. Whatever it is, whether you're a Christian or not, we need to realize 
God has shown us great mercy. And therefore, we do give ourselves as living sacrifices. I don't want to tell you what that means in your own life. But I do want to say to you, if you can't look at your life and say, I'm sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom, then you got questions you need to answer. You need to think about it. I don't want to tell you it's 10%. For you, it might be 60%. It might be 100%. I don't know. But I can tell you this. If you're not looking at it and saying, I am not conformed to this world, but I am transformed by the renewing of my mind to do something different with my life because, not because I'm a good person, not because I'm going to gain from it, but because of what God has done for us. And that's what I want us to come to out of this passage is to look at it and say, let us do what is good and acceptable and perfect before our God. Now, Paul goes on in the next verses, verse number, verse uh, 3, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For there are many members. I don't know what it takes to be in the nursery every week. That's not my gift. I've done it on occasion. I struggle with being able to do it. I'm this big guy, and I scare the little kids, I guess. I don't know. But that, I'm not going to judge how hard that is or how easy that is for other people. Some of you say, I don't ever want to get up front. I've only once in my whole life been nervous being up front speaking. And that's another whole story I'm not going to get into, but it was one, one time. And I've spoken in places where there were thousands of people. That's my, that may be my gift, okay? But what this is saying is whatever your gift is, we're members of one body. Now, you can look at that and say, okay, my gift is service. Does that mean I don't ever give? Well, that's not what it's saying either. It's not that I should never serve in the nursery or I should never help with other things that are not necessarily my gift, but it is saying do what your gift is with your whole heart. And all of us are employed in some sense or another, and we need to say God has given us something there. What do we do for the rest of the church? Now, there's a illustration I want to bring in. It's hard to come up with illustrations for giving, and Hal and I talked about it a little bit yesterday. I said, you know, it'd be great if we had somebody in the church, and I could just say, look at this person. They, but even that, I get a little nervous because I don't want to hold one person up, okay, and just go, that's how you do it. I can't even tell you that because, Russell, how much of your time goes to the church every week? Work and more. You know, his 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, and more. Um, he lives and breathes it. Some of you may say, no, I've got another job, and I'm doing that. I've got family. I've got all these things. point is, we're members of one body, and we need to figure out how to support the body. Now, this is our local church where we come to worship, and that's where you start. And it ta the Bible talks about bringing your tithes and your offerings into the storehouse for the ministry of the church, and this is that place. And so I want you to look at your life and say, how am I spending my time? How am I spending my talents, my abilities? How am I spending my treasure? And am I using that for the body of the believers and for the glory of God? And it's not my place to judge, 
It's for you to look at everything God's done for you and go, huh, I wish I could do more. And if that's what you're doing, I think that's a good place to be. And it's not for me to judge, but it's for you to look at and say, I don't want to do it the, world, the way the world does it. I want to do it this way that is acceptable and honoring to God. And so as we think about giving, that's where I want us to come from in, in our thoughts and to use, as Paul says, sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I can tell you that there have been times in my life when I've lacked faith in the area of giving, where I've said, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough. And I think the world puts a lot of that on us. I don't know about you, but at my age, there's a lot of, well, how much do you have for retirement? Is it going to be enough? And, and I think it's okay to think about that. But not to think about it like the world thinks about it. But to transform our minds and to transform our thinking that we say, oh, am I doing this for God's glory? Am I doing this for my own comfort? Am I doing this for my own ease? Am I doing this for my own pride? Or am I living it out for God's glory? I think that's important for us to think about. So there are all these mem different members, different roles that people have, different gifts. Verse 6 says this, According to the gifts, the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then it lists a whole bunch of them. And one of them is the gift of generosity. And it says, If you have the gift to contribute, do it with generosity. Now, as I thought about illustrating this, one of the illustrations, I, and I like to illustrate from Scripture. So I'm going to go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you can go back and, um, and the church in Macedonia had been asked to give to the needs of the church at large. And the special need that they were dealing with was a famine in Jerusalem. And so Paul was coming as a, the uh, apostle, which meant authority and power in the church. He was coming and saying, everyone needs to give to this. And the people in Macedonia had said yes, and the people in Corinth had said yes. Um, both of these churches had problems. Uh, you can go back and look more at the problems of the church in Corinthians because the, the, Corinth, the first and second Corinthians were written to the church in Corinth. And it tells us that they had spiritual problems, they had social problems, they had moral problems, they sued one another, there were people that were sleeping around, there were people that were doing bad things. And in the middle of all that, they also had the problem of not being generous. Because Paul had come to them and said, please remember, you need to give. And they had gone, yes, and then they didn't do it. And Paul could have come back and said, wait a minute, I'm the apostle. I'm the one that brought you the gospel. You need to give, and you need to give now, and I'm going to tell you how much to do. But no, he comes to them and speaks to them and encourages them and shows love to them so that they will give. Now, it's interesting because of these two churches, one was rich and one was poor. The church in Macedonia at one point had been rich. They had had gold mines and other things in the Macedonian area that made the city very rich. But at this point in time, that had all collapsed, and the church in Macedonia was actually very poor. But Paul talks about them, and he says in their poverty, they were still generous. And I want to just hit on a couple of things that he talks about in that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about their generosity. The first thing he says is that they were generous with a joyful heart. Corinth, on the other hand, was not generous, and they had wealth, but they didn't like giving. 
because they, they were focused on their own needs and whatever they wanted, you know, whatever was the in thing to have. And I actually think sometimes it's harder for rich people to give because they're well aware of all the other things the other rich people have, and they think they should actually have those things. Whereas some of us that don't have all that worldly wealth are able to step back and go, you know, that, that stuff, I'm never going to have the yacht anyway, so I'm not going to try to worry about it. And we can give out of that heart. But anyway, Macedonia was giving, and they were giving joyfully. And I encourage you to go back and read that 2 Corinthians 8 and see how joyful they were in their giving. They're also giving out of relationship. And this is the concept that they were connected to one another. They were connected to the church in Jerusalem. They understood how the church in Jerusalem had given to help them. And I want to say that's true for us here, too, that we're connected to one another. We always like new people coming in, and I don't know every face here, and that thrills me that I don't know everybody because we need to grow, and we need to be inviting other people to come. There should always be new people. Let's pray for these up here that God would fill those seats with new people. But at the same time, we are connected, and we should be able to say, I have great generosity to my church, and I want to see my church flourish. It's not just that we want Russell to have a job. That would be nice. Amanda would like that. But what it really is is that we're connected here, and this is the place that God is allowing us to see the gospel, gospel go forth in this community. And if we believe what's in chapter 11 of the marvelous things that God has done, then we ought to say we want to see the gospel go forth here, and that's going to take us giving. Giving for some of us more than 10%. Giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord. So they gave joyfully. They gave with generosity in relationship. But they also gave in response to the blessings that they had had. The church in Macedonia, in Macedonia did not give because Paul said do it. They gave because they knew they had been blessed. And so that's where I come back to Romans 11 and 12 and go, we have been blessed. And I can't tell you the depths of your own sin. I'm not going to try. I can tell you the depths of my own sin, but I don't want to do that. But I can tell you what, none of us, in light of a holy and perfect God, can go and come and go, well, I was sort of okay. No, we come and go, boy, we were in trouble. We had no answers of our own. We had no way to have a relationship with God. But because of his marvelous glory, he sent his son to die for us. Because of his unbelievable grace to us, we're able to come and say, we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And so I come to you and say, give out of a joyful heart. Give out of relationship with one another. Give out of the blessings that God has done for you. And realize that none of that is guilt. Oh, you're a bad person because you drive that car or because you got that tattoo or because you did this or that. That's not it. What it should be is I'm joyful to do that. Paul didn't come with authority and say, I'm the person in charge and, you know, we've got to do this. And there are people on TV that will do that to you. They'll go, you need to give, blah, blah, blah. And that's not what we're doing either. We're saying we get the privilege to come as members and give of our time and our talent and our treasure to see God's glory proclaimed in this community. Now, there are other churches in this community, and if someday God says this church or that church or whatever are not going to exist anymore, his glory doesn't stop. 
what would stop is our ability to say we're a part of that. Um, to me, it's exciting to go, we're here, we're serving, we're reaching out, we're talking to our neighbors, we're inviting people in, we're proclaiming the good news of what? God's kingdom has come. And God's reign is here. And God has touched us. And we are proclaiming that in this community. That's the glory of God. It's kind of like the lady who, when she'd given to support those kids, and the pastor finally convinced her that she should, he should tell them. They were just overwhelmed. that This little lady, single lady in the church that they didn't know that well, had cared for them for years and years and years and paid big bills for them to be able to go to this Christian school. And they ended up having Christian families and getting married and having kids and all of that. And they came back and they just said, look at everything that you've done for us. And that's what I want to do here. I want us to be able to come to God and say, God, you've done something for us phenomenal. But look at what has resulted from that. Vintage Grace and the people that have been reached and the communities that have been touched and the service that has happened and the care for people that are struggling and and just reaching out and showing the glory of God. That's what I want for us. And so as you think about giving, as you think about um, what God has for you, um, I just want that to be our mindset. Now, in the evangelical church, we're better at giving than some of the other churches. I was looking at some of the statistics. In the United States, it's like 4% people give across the board. Um, there are some rich people that give a lot of money. Uh, sometimes that's for taxes and for other reasons, and uh, sometimes they still remain control. Of, they have ways of getting around all that uh, to make it beneficial for them. I don't want you to look at it and go, how am I going to benefit? I want you to look at it and say, how am I going to bring God glory? What am I going to do today that will bring God glory? Uh, it is interesting to me, too, this is, not, this is not a bad time financially. I hope you have a little money in the stock market and you're making some money on that. I hope you have a good job and um, you know, all those blessings. But at the same time, when were Americans the most generous? They go back and do some statistical study, and they were most generous during the height of the Depression because people realized, I don't have much, but other people have less. Well, what I want us to do is I want us to look at this community. Is this a wealthy community? This is a fairly wealthy community. And so it's not really just about our money that we're coming and going, oh, we're going to do something for people. What this community is missing is the gospel and having that relationship with God. That's the thing of most value that we have. So as a church plant, we should be coming and saying, we have something of tremendous value for this community. And these people need it. And we need to fill all these chairs, not because Russell says we should, but because they need it. And we need to bring them in. Just like we need it. And that's why we come. And part of that is giving of our time. So if you're not giving your time this week to something for the church, go to Russell and say, Russell, how can I volunteer? Everybody should have a job of some sort in a church plant. There are people in this room that have been sacrificial week in and week out, setting up, tearing down, doing children's ministry, doing leading in worship and other things. They need a break sometimes. So if you're not doing one of those things, step up. Uh, there are other ways in which you can serve with your time, with your talents, and with your treasure. And so I just come to us as a, as a fellow believer in saying, God's done so much for me. 
What are we doing to bring him glory and to honor his name? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. And I pray that as we consider it this week, that we would be more like the Macedonians, that we would be thrilled to be bringing you praise and glory through what we do. Father, may we not